let's go to the uh, Dudemaker Hotline here and uh, say hello to our political affairs correspondent, Miss Magdalene Rose, who I'm sure has um, uh, uh, lots to say about the Holes versus Donuts Krispy Kreme debate last night in Simi Valley, California. Uh, winners and losers and Republican Party, GOP politics and all that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the inside scoop. Magdalene, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so winners and losers. First takeaway. What do you think? I think Pence is a definite loser. I don't know what was wrong with him last night. He kept pausing for these last moments that just didn't happen. <laughs> and then he would sort of get knocked off pace when they didn't happen. And you saw other people on the stage looking at him like, what are you doing? He had really low energy. He was just the worst I've seen him since he hit the national spotlight being Trump's VP. So I would say he's the main loser. I think the winners were probably DeSantis because he didn't have any bad moments. And at the end, he was the one leading the charge not to engage in Dana Perino's survivor moment where she tried to have people vote each other off the island, as well as Nikki Haley because she was not willing to let anybody hurt her. And I think Chris Christie would say he did well for himself because he was able to spend the time hitting Trump and Vivek did not seem to want to run over him as much. What about Bergam? I think he was okay, but a lot of the problem with that is there's such a big learning curve about him. Honestly, I thought his comments in the after show with Hannity were almost better than his comments during the debate. He was talking very very clearly about how great North Dakota is doing. He talked about how they have the highest SAP scores. He talked about the energy system there. Had he brought up any of that during the debate, I think he would have had many more viral moments. He's not really selling his record in North Dakota in the way DeSantis is trying to do when it comes to Florida. His after-show comments, in my view, were better than his on-the-stage comments. So the spin room comments, you know, I, I saw some yeah. of that, and I was I chuckled out loud because they had the floor of the, of the Reagan Center divvied up like you were at the Republican National Convention, complete mm-hmm. with little uh, vertical signage that, uh, you know, they kind of marked off Bergham's territory with the sign that said, with the signs on it that said Bergam, and then there was Pence's territory. And I guess that's where your spin doctors could go and spin your um, uh, spin your performance, if you will. Uh, and, and I didn't see his comments with Hannity, but I, d- I did go to his website, and uh, his comment, uh, the one about the EV batteries, and there was another one last night that made me go and look, you're like, okay, who is this Bergam? Uh, who is this Doug Bergam guy? Um, and uh, apparently he was quite a, he, he kind of reminds me of Trump a little bit, other than he got into politics, and Trump never did, uh, because he was the governor of North Dakota, but he was very successful at some startup tech company. Uh, there may be more to be said for Doug Burgum. Um, uh, I just hope he doesn't turn out to be a, a Ross Perot. Yeah, I think he's definitely in the running for multiple people on that stage, as well as Trump, to potentially be vice president. And the reason I say that is because if I was Trump and I was looking at him, he's definitely not someone who's going to overshadow me. But he does have a really great record to run on. He is really well-liked by different areas of the conservative base. And if DeSantis is the nominee, I mean, you can't really get better than two governors running, especially at a time when you have no governor. You would have you know, someone who's a senator and someone who's a senator on the Democrat side who 
ran and became president and vice president. So he's definitely in contention for vice president. What I think will be interesting is if next debate, Nikki Haley starts to hit him because she has a pattern of hitting the person that emerges from the previous debate and has sort of breakout moments. She doesn't like that. She tries to keep people in check in their original positions. So I think if she's hitting him the next debate, it's an indicator that he's doing well enough that people have noticed within the GOP donor class. She obviously thinks that Vivek Ramaswamy has eclipsed her because she yes. wouldn't let him finish a single sentence. No, she would not. And it was kind of fun to watch because personally, I think a lot of what he says is just a regurgitating of what other people have said. I think he takes a lot of points from Jordan Peterson and a lot of show hosts and there's very little originality there. So when she goes after him, you notice she goes after him with fact after fact after fact. And it's interesting to see somebody who's being attacked both by Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, who are vastly different personalities within the GOP. But he's a problem for those candidates because he's now, for the second time at a debate, occupied the number two spot next to DeSantis on that debate stage. So they have to get rid of him. And what I find odd is that he almost took on this neocon, everything is wonderful attitude, maybe not in policy. But if you listen to what he said, it was, we're all good people and it's all okay. And he was sort of complimentary <laughs> and a little bit weak. So I wonder who in the neocon world got to him and maybe they're a Nikki Haley plant because it didn't help him. Well, and, and, and uh, there were two moments because Bergam also said, all the people on this stage are good people. And I have an immense amount of respect for all the people on this mm -hmm. stage. You know, you don't have to say that. You can actually just treat people with, with dig dignity and respect and, and people will go like, well, he kind of behaved himself. You know, he comported himself like a gentleman. He didn't interrupt anyone. He was uh, he was he was very congenial. Um, uh, you know, you, you look in these things, and I think this is really just ridiculous. It has nothing absolutely 0.0, .0 to do with your ability to govern or do anything else, for that matter. But you know, if you look at these things, you're always looking for okay, who made the wait. What was the biggest gaffe of last night? So, what would you say was the biggest gaffe? Was there a huge blunder? I think the Donald Duck thing was contrived, stupid, over the top. It was an obvious stand-up, you know, late night with Jimmy Kimmel moment there. That to me, I went, <laughs> "That's your Trump joke, dude." To me, that was the that was the uh, that was the lead balloon there. What, what say you? What was it? What was the big? Anyone make a big mistake? I think a lot of people view the Donald Duck thing as that, but I will say I really have seen a lot of memes. I've seen a lot of talk about it. So even though on the debate stage it may have felt a little bit flat, a lot of people found it funny on social media. Mm. Chris Christie can fundraise off of it. I think it's doing what Chris Christie wanted, which is keeping him in the morning conversation. In terms of gaffes, it wasn't really one moment. I think Pence's whole performance, except one comment he made about the death penalty and school shooters, was really a gaffe. He was so low energy. He was so weak. He almost looked sickly. And this, this continued effort to pause for laughs to me was so odd, especially as somebody who was in radio and in Congress and the governor, he should know better. So I would say his continued pausing for laughs was a major gaffe because it didn't get him anything, and all you took away was that he didn't really understand the flow of the stage. Well, you know, if you're right, you know, we're, you know what we'll hear uh, either today or tomorrow, Trump's out on the campaign trail somewhere. You know what we'll hear? We'll hear... 
I watched a debate the other night, and there he was, Low Energy Mike. <laughs> he'll, he'll just replace Low Energy Jeb with Low Energy Pence. Yeah. And then you'll, uh, then you'll know. All right, which it brings me to the um, to another question about uh, about Krispy Kreme, uh, Chris Christie, um, who I never really cared for, even when he was. Uh, Chris Christie's his moment in the sun, his, his, his shining stellar star moment, was in the first year of his governorship in New Jersey mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. there was re- there was a serious crisis with because the uh, the teachers unions in that state had stolen like 150 million dollars over the course of however many years uh, from the teachers and had supposedly put it into this pension fund and uh, during the Obama uh, during the housing crash and market crash of all of 2008 into 2009 uh, they lost about a half uh, maybe even two thirds of the worth of that fund and uh, this was going to be a huge problem they were going to be like 150 200 million dollars short in retirement and benefit and, and health care benefit moments and when Christie was inaugurated you know he went and he he, he went to the teachers union you see he called a meeting he had them all come in and they freaking booed him off the stage but he told him you can boo me all you want but I'm going to get a bill through the to the New Jersey legislature and we're going to have to cut your pensions in half by a two-thirds we're going to have, you're going to have to pay for some of your medical services and he goes you can pie in the sky fantasize about it all you want the money is not there and there are not enough New Jerseyans working for me to take it from them to give it to you so this is going to happen and you know what Magdalene they actually did it and Christie survived. I don't know how he survived, but he survived that. And ultimately, he even won a second term. But that was his moment. And after that, he was just... <laughs> I don't know that he ever did anything for the state of New Jersey after that. I think that that's probably one of the things that really bothers him is that he really missed his moment. Like, following the hurricane that hit his state, following the teachers' union issues, he continued to not take advantage of it. If you remember, there were massive calls for him to run in 2012. He didn't do it. He sort of had this idea that he would just wait it out. Right. That he, that he could come in next time. And that wasn't the case. And so to me, I think he deals with a lot of political frustration. And on the other side, I think one of the biggest problems between him and Trump is that Christie really helped Trump on that debate stage in 2016 by knocking out Marco Rubio, who was a threat in terms of donor money. Donors loved him. He wasn't a threat in the polls, but he was sucking up a lot of resources in those early states. And I'm sure you remember the Mm. Christie-Marco Rubio debate moment where Ted Cruz and Trump stepped back like, we don't want to get involved in this. So he had this idea that he was going to support Trump and get something from it, as many people in politics do. And then, of course, he was removed as the leader of the transition team when Trump became president. He didn't get the AG spot. So so Christie is dealing with a huge amount of anger. And personally, I think he's probably the person that Donald Trump hates the most on that stage. (laughs) Ron DeSantis, he views as disloyal. But Christie is personal because Christie was his debate coach. Imagine having to go up against your debate coach. I personally believe that's a lot of the reason why Trump isn't there. I wouldn't want to debate against my debate coach. I think it's a bad idea. Uh, I'd forgotten that Christie was uh, Trump's debating partner. And I, and I want to say that Rudy was one of the other guys that was either debating or was asking the questions. Yes. I think Rudy yeah, was in the mix. Go ahead. 
And he was in the mix, and you also had Scott Walker up there. That's right. This whole team of people. You had this whole debate team of people that was really curated by Ryan Priebus and other people at the RNC, not Rona McDaniel, but people who were competent to make sure that Trump had a real understanding <laughs> of how to debate. Also, Mike Pence's people. So if you're Donald Trump, you don't necessarily want to go up against those people. And there's a lot of rumor that Nikki Haley helped him. It was prepped for 2020 when it came to foreign policy. Trump knows the people on that stage are very competent in knowing what he can and cannot deal with when it comes to debate. Well, and I think Christie actually did hit him below the above the belt when he said, you know, you, you don't want to come here and atone for your record. Because mm-hmm. if I was going to run against Trump, I would be COVID, 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 mm-hmm. COVID, COVID, mm-hmm. COVID. Why didn't you know that Fauci was a snake? Yep. Why didn't you do some due diligence? Why did you take Burks's word for it? Why did you let that snake, Pence, who had no experience in this stuff, why did you let him run your task force? You yep. held the line all the way up until March the 15th, and for some re- stupid reason, you cracked. And then you knew immediately that you that you had cracked because you saw what they were going to do with the mail-in ballots and all that, uh, you know, the whole Operation Warp Speed, the whole thing. There's an awful lot that you could go after President Trump on. But again, to me, Magdalene, I say, look, I'll take the 60-40 Trump guy, 40% losses, 60% wins, because out of Biden, we get what, six-tenths of 1%. Um, and and I, we also know that Trump has actually done it. He's actually been there. Um, uh, you can surely rely on that. He's not going to. There's going to be an awful lot of love lost for the people that are behind trying to keep him out of uh, even off the ballot. That he's not going to have any. Uh, uh, he should have very little problem whatsoever in making some of these things right. But just going like, you know what? I'm just going to end this agency. I'm just going to. I'm not. I'm not even going to sign the appropriation. I'm just going to let it sit there. But um, we'll talk about that on another day because I have some Trump stuff to talk about. But I want to go back and I want to ask you, do you not believe, Magdalene Rose, our political affairs correspondent here on the Crusade Channel, do you not think that Rona McDaniels is, what did you say? Is she competent? Because you said Reince Priebus was competent and you indicated that you don't think that Rona McDaniels is. Well, now, I don't well, think Ryan that she Pre- is either, but I'm, I'm just curious. Well, Ryan Priebus helped us win in 2016. That's right. Ryan Priebus looked at what happened in 2012, and he was, like, deeply bothered, as someone running the Republican National Committee should be, mm. about what had happened in 2012. He famously ordered that autopsy of what went wrong in the 2012 race. He spent four years preparing. Those debates were planned out perfectly. The man had a plan. Mm. Rona McDaniel is the most useless person, perhaps, in RNC history. And you know what's so frustrating about this? Is she lost the 2018 midterms. We lose all these places. We have all these problems in 2020. 2022 midterms were just disappointments across the board. Right. And yet, every year, her salary goes up. So originally, she's making a little over $100,000. Now she makes $400,000 a year. And for me, I don't understand how, like, a party that is so obsessed with firing people who can't do the job keeps rehiring this woman She's so incompetent. She has no idea what she's doing. Her entire qualification, in my view, was having sort of successfully run the Michigan Republican Party and being Mitt Romney's niece, which Trump liked because it could really twist Mitt Mitt Romney up and make him upset that now she was on Trump's team. The woman is incompetent. And do you know what her answer to youth outreach is? It's wonderful. It's the Youth Advisory Council, which, let me tell you, is run by people who look like mini stockbrokers who literally have no idea what they're doing. That's what's going on. So I have no faith in Rona McDaniel. Is there, uh, let me, okay, let me, let's, let's drill down. Is there someone out there that is competent? 
that should that the G that the RNC because look at the end of the day folks don't understand this what is the job of the RNC is to raise money and win elections that's all you're supposed to do raise the money field the candidates train them and win elections that's what you do you have nothing to do with policy you are not a policy advisor your job is to raise the money Field the candidates and help them win elections. That's all you were supposed to do, and you're right. She is a demonstrable, miserable failure. So who's out there that maybe the RNC ought to be taking a look at before before it's too late? They should bring back Ryan's previous. There you go. See that he wants it. He does because if you remember originally, he was Trump's chief of staff, and if you go from RNC chairman to the president of the United States as chief of staff, that's an upgrade. But then, of course, he left. He went back to private practice. He should be RNC chairman, and that's why he keeps sliding into all the spin sessions, and he gives really, really neutral advice. I think and, and analysis. He knows how bad she is. Everyone knows how bad she is. It's like this, like cognitive delusion. Everybody in the Republican Party lives <laughs> in that somehow we lose three races in a row. The 2022 midterms are a disaster, but it's not Rona's fault. Nothing is Rona's fault. She is in the longest term of RNC chairwoman and yet has nothing to show for it. Okay, so from where uh, you sit then, you know what's going on with uh, Speaker McCarthy. There is an internecine feud there. Matt Gates and others are basically telling the Speaker, Biden's not going to do anything about it. We're still Americans. We're not going to play your. We're not playing this political football game here. If you don't give us a bill that shuts that border down, if you if you if it's not in the bill, it's not getting out of the house. Because I saw the the Senate press conference yesterday with the uh, who's the new senator the, uh, the the woman from Alabama. What I can forget her name. Oh, Katie Britt. Yeah, 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 Katie Britt. So Katie Britt get, get up there and cry. Where she was tearing up, and I'm going like, no, don't, no, don't, 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 don't. But Lindsey Graham got up there and goes, uh, let me tell you that uh, our leadership in the House is telling us we're not going to get a bell over here unless it has complete and total shutdown of the border. And we're all up here in this state today to tell you that we're okay with that. So they kept asking, so that means you're for a government shutdown. No. No, this is on Biden. Biden can fix this tomorrow morning. If he does, then the bill goes through. If he doesn't, well, then no, there's probably not going to be a shutdown. Kevin McCarthy yesterday, and I watched him. I watched it very carefully. I don't know if you saw it. Speaker McCarthy basically said, and it it sounded to me like he was, they had a gun pointed at him. (laughs) Someone that's related to him backstage, you say the wrong thing, dude, and and she gets it, or he gets it, rather. Um, Sounds to me like McCarthy has been served notice. You're not getting another win over this caucus. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen this time, Bob. And we don't care what the consequences are. Is that your read? Yeah, and I personally have no sympathy for Kevin McCarthy. He's doing a terrible job. He's doing a horrible job of this. Look, I understand we're not going to get legislation passed. I'm under no illusions about this. But the man doesn't even have a plan. He doesn't even have issues he talks about. Like, aside from the border, which he has not led the discussion on, he doesn't talk about anything. You never see him. He's completely useless. I don't even think he should have been speaker. The idea that we're going to reward somebody who failed to lead us to victory in 2022 because he had a major role in the House races in that year. It was ridiculous. And I think Matt Gates is probably right. 
hold him accountable. The problem Kevin McCarthy has is he's the last of that pack of people. Remember, you had the Paul Ryan people who are very much like, we're going to lead, we're the young guns, we're going to lead everybody to victory. And he's out of touch. He's tried to survive in this populist world, and it's not going well. There's only so much camouflaging and hiding one can do. And at the end of the day, if we have a government shutdown, we have a government shutdown. The one thing that is annoying, though, is never we have those. You see Obama and George W. Bush out there, like, handing out pizzas to the workers affected as if they haven't done similar things in their presidencies. But if it happens, it happens. Well, now, uh, quickly, I know you have to go to class in, in four minutes. This is, I, I think Matt Gates is actually the guy for the job, or at least he would be, it's not my buddy Steve Scalise. It's, it's somebody like Gates. Listen to this from the, from the floor of the House yesterday. The gentleman's right. You are your record. And our record in this country right now is $33 trillion in debt facing $2 trillion annual deficits. We're in so much debt, we're driving up deficits so fast, we are devaluing American money so rapidly that in America today, you can't even bribe Democrat senators with cash alone. You need to bring gold bars. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's a, that's the line of the week. You, yeah. Menendez is like, uh uh-uh, I don't want any cash. Give me gold. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think he's right. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why a man who's in California is running like the, the Speaker of the House. We've lost everything in California. It's a wasteland. We have no victories there. And I say this all the time, like, we're winning nothing. We have no victories. It all looks terrible. So let's make Matt Gates speaker. Let's have him just rip things up, because at least it'll be somebody who gets up every day, has a plan, and is tough enough to survive on CNN when Dana Bash tries to pontificate to him. But Kevin McCarthy's time is done. He may not be out yet. But politically and policy-wise and attitude-wise, he's not the man for the job anymore. Now, I'm going to say something that most people are going to like, no, TKD, don't do it. I'm going to do it. Pelosi is a awesome speaker. That wench oh, gets is. stuff done, okay? Oh, yeah. I don't like her. I, desp- I, I despise her. I pray for her to, to return to the Catholic faith really for reals, but that is a speaker. You don't cry. When, when she has that gavel, poop gets done. She sets yep. the agenda and she goes, no, it's going to pass. You are going to vote as I tell you to vote. It's going to happen. Now, that's what a speaker and what's what a leader does. I hate to say it, but the Republicans, if no, they're going to survive true. this, they need a Pelosi. They do. They need a Pelosi. And we can only hope that we have somebody as twisted and obsessed with holding <laughs> on to power as Nancy Pelosi is, because that's the only way you get things done in America. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, we'll leave it with that. And we'll, we'll all go in search of some gold bars. <laughs>